Hello, and welcome to the History of Japan podcast, Episode 5, Dream on a Spring Night. The tolling of the Gion Shoja bells echoes the impermanence of all things. The color of the flowers of the Sala tree reveals the truth that the prosperous must decline. The proud do not endure, they are like a dream on a spring night. The mighty fall at last, they are as dust before the wind. So opens the tale of the Heike, a fictionalized account of the civil war which resulted in the complete collapse of the Heian system and the rise of the first samurai-dominated government. That collapse is our topic for this week. When I was initially planning this podcast, I knew there would be a few points where I would need to slow down the frantic pace of the overview episodes and really concentrate on a few of the decisive turning points of Japanese history. We've reached the first of these periods now, The collapse of the Heian system and the rise of the warrior class to political power marks one of the most decisive shifts in Japanese history. The changes wrought here, particularly in where political power in Japan is vested, will have resounding implications. From the end of the Heian period up until the year 1868, the warrior class will dominate Japan. For that reason, I felt that the collapse of the Heian system and the political rise of the warrior class was a topic worthy of our close attention. But before we can get into it, we need to discuss why the Heian system, which was so stable, ended up collapsing into a series of brutal civil wars. There are three primary factors in its decline. The first is what is called the Shōensei, or Shōen system. Shōen were privately held estates granted by the emperor. They are a gift from the emperor to a loyal servant of tax-free land which they can use to support their family. Shōen were also exempted from the periodic reassignment that all other privately held land was required to undergo. This was a good way to ensure the loyalty of your friends if you were the emperor. The problem is, there was no guarantee that the person who inherited the Shōen would continue to be your friend. Shōen were also granted to institutions which supported or were supported by the imperial family, in particular Buddhist temples. Buddhism gained a lot of influence over the course of the Heian period, especially due to its association with the grandeur of the Chinese Tang dynasty. As a result, it also gained a great deal of political power. This was then translated into economic benefits for the most powerful of the temples, especially in the form of showing grants and associated lands. The warrior families, or buke, were also supported using showin grants. What this process did was essentially gut the imperial tax base. The government was no longer drawing from as wide an area of revenue, and the high level of control granted to Shōen holding families, combined with the reassignment exemption, meant that the Shōen holders could increasingly defy imperial authority and set themselves up as local powers in their own right. The Kyoto court attempted to counter this trend by strengthening the power of imperially appointed provincial governors. However, all this did was give the provincial governors the power to essentially ignore the court. By 1100 AD, Shōen encompassed roughly one-half of all of the arable land in Japan. In 1158 AD, an observer in Yamato province noted ruefully that, quote, the province of Yamato has become the possession of the Kasuga Shrine and the Kofukuchi Temple. Not one single square foot of public fields is left in the province. The second factor in the decline of the Heian system was the rise of militant Buddhism. Like many religions which succeeded in gaining temporal power, during the Heian period, Buddhism developed a military component designed to secure that power. As I mentioned earlier, many religious institutions had secured their own shōen, giving them their own private power base. 
temples first began to arm themselves to protect their territory from bandits, but by 1100 AD, monks had on occasion begun to march down to Heian to challenge imperial decisions which they viewed unfavorably. To quell these militant monks, the government relied more and more on the bouquet families. But Isaac, I hear you say, militant Buddhism? I thought Buddhism was a peaceful religion. Well, voice in my head, it usually was, but then again it also says not to kill in the Ten Commandments, and that didn't exactly stop the Crusades. I'm not an expert on Buddhism, or how combat was justified in the religious sphere, but in general, religions which gain political power usually have to create expediencies to hold on to that power, and usually that involves some form of violence. Buddhism had a tremendous amount of political power at this time due to its association with Chinese high culture, the aristocracy, and the emperor and as a result it had garnered a massive amount of wealth. It's unsurprising that they turned to violence to protect all of that. It's worth noting as an aside that not all sects of Buddhism turned to this form of militancy or developed this kind of immense wealth and political power. Next week we're going to discuss the formation of two new Buddhist sects, Pure Land Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. Both were, partially, founded as a response to the perceived corruption of traditional forms of Buddhism in Japan, particularly what was perceived as their excessive political, economic, and military power. An interesting parallel can be drawn here with the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation of the 16th century in Europe. In both cases, a perceived sense of corruption of the traditional religion resulted in a reimagining of religious practice in a way designed to emphasize the good of the religion and expunge the bad. It's not really a thought we have time to develop in detail here, I just don't want to give you the impression that every Buddhist monk in the late Heian period was rolling around in piles of money laughing at the foolishness of the ignorant peasants. The final factor was the rise of the Buke families. By the way, Buke refers to a family, it literally means warrior family, whereas an individual member of a Buke family is a Bushi. I'm also going to be using the word samurai in many of the upcoming podcasts. It's something of an anachronism, I can't tell you exactly when people started using it, but it was definitely after this period. However, it's also a commonly understood word, and frankly, I don't think it's that worth being concerned about in this case. It's not like you're going to confuse it with some other warrior class in Japan. Anyway, previously, the bouquet had been controlled by the central government's reward schemes. Loyal and talented families were given high titles in the bureaucracy, as well as their own shoen. However, time weakened their ties with the imperial house. Warriors began to feel less allegiance to the emperor, and more to their own families, men, and locale. In addition, feuding factions of kuge, or nobles, in the court began by the end of the 11th century to invite buke into their feuds. A faction with buke backing could intimidate its opponents or just kill them. These three factors, the shoen system, militant Buddhism, and the rise of the buke, are commonly pointed to as the source of the rot in the Heian system. However, how did they all play out? Well, Bouquet-backed factional infighting among the Heian aristocrats resulted in violent clashes in the 1150s. First, in 1156, the Fujiwara family fought a brutal civil war which was ended only by the joint intervention of the two largest Bouquet families, the Taira and the Minamoto. The war had the effect of badly damaging Fujiwara prestige and leaving a political power vacuum into which the Taira and Minamoto families could step. However, this new political situation proved extremely unstable, as neither the Taira nor the Minamoto were prepared to share power. 
Three years later, the two turned on one another in a war known as the Heiji Rebellion. The term Heiji Rebellion comes from the Nengo era in use at the time of the rebellion. Ironically, Heiji means peaceful government. The Minamoto and some branches of the remaining Fujiwara family attempted to rebel against the Taira-backed government of Emperor Nijo, which was supported by the retired Emperor Go Shirakawa. This all sounds very complicated, and in truth it was, but the short version is that the Minamoto were decisively defeated. Their leader, Minamoto no Yoshitomo, was executed by the head of the Taira clan, Taira no Kiyomori. According to the more dramatically inclined sources, Kiyomori then, moved by the pleading of his wife, granted clemency to the children of the fallen Yoshitomo. Instead, they were exiled to the east. The eldest of these children, and thus the new head of the Minamoto family, was named Minamoto no Yoritomo. What sources we have then describe Kiyomori as brutally purging his opponents and taking control of the government. His control of the only armed forces in the capital, combined with his independent shoin holdings and his alliance with Go Shirakawa, enabled him to assume control of the government. In 1167, he took the title of Daijo Daijin, or head of the Daijokan. He arranged a marriage between the sitting emperor and his own daughter in 1171. In 1179, he launched the final step of his bid for power. In one last great purge, he removed all of his rivals from their offices and packed the government with Taira family members. He also betrayed his ally Go Shirakawa, the retired emperor, and placed him under house arrest. Incidentally, one account of Taira no Kiyomori's consolidation of power is provided by Kamono Chome's Hojoki, which we discussed last week as an example of the Zuihitsu genre. The calamities surrounding Taira no Kiyomori's assumption of power were what convinced Kamono Chome to abandon Kyoto and retire to the countryside. In 1180, the emperor was forced to resign. His son, and the grandson of Taira no Kiyomori, was placed on the throne as the nine-year-old emperor Antoku. Thus, a Taira descendant reigned over the country, with Kiyomori acting as the power behind the throne. His power seemed unassailable, and it looked like the Taira family was in place to dominate the country for centuries in the way that the Fujiwara once had. However, at this point, Taira fortunes took a turn for the worse. One of Go Shirakawa's sons, named Prince Mochihito, escaped Kyoto and raised his own forces in rebellion, primarily drawing them from militant shrines and temples in the vicinity of Nara and Kyoto. Mochihito also wrote a petition to local power holders, including the Minamoto, asking for their help to overthrow the Taira. Mochihito's forces, composed primarily of militant monks, were crushed at the outskirts of Kyoto, and in the process the major temples of Kofuji, Todaiji, Onjoji, and others were burned to the ground. Obviously, burning religious institutions to the ground was something of a bad move politically speaking. This act was considered a major crime and turned public opinion very strongly against Kiyomori and his family. Around this time, a few months later, Kiyomori caught a fever and, after several months of suffering, died. Later accounts, wishing to curry favor with Kiyomori's enemies, describe him as tortured by the spirits of his victims, developing a fever so bad that those who touch him were burned. In a nice final touch, he was then consumed by hellfire. Regardless of exactly how he died, the fact remained that Kiyomori was dead. His son, Munemori, was left to lead the family. However, Munemori was nowhere near as competent as his father. Perhaps smelling blood in the water, out east, Minamoto no Yoritomo took advantage of the weakness of the Taira at this moment. 
1181, Minamoto no Yoritomo declared war on the Taira, citing both his family's grudge against the Taira and Mochihito's request for aid. The war went on for four years, and though initial developments were favorable for the Taira, a string of decisive Minamoto victories in the middle of the war fatally reversed the fortunes of the conflict for them. Yoritomo's brother Yoshitsune won a series of decisive battles from which the Taira were never able to fully recover, and his cousin Yoshinaka was able to seize the city of Kyoto from the Taira without a fight. Incidentally, this is probably a good point to cover the nature of warfare in the period, since this is what fighting is going to look like for the next couple of centuries. The battles were fairly small by later standards. Bushi tended to fight from horseback, relying primarily on the bow and closing to sword or spear range only when out of arrows. Bushi would move about the battlefield, reading out their lineage and a list of their accomplishments, and challenging others to engage them in combat. The battles that resulted resembled those of Dark Age Europe. Though impressive tactics were occasionally used, generally speaking, the battles were fought essentially as a series of duels. One final point that's worth mentioning is the place of women in this fighting. Like most military classes, the early samurai were male-dominated, but there are records of women taking up arms during this period. By far the most famous was a woman named Tomoe, who was both the chief general and concubine of Minamoto no Yoshinaka. During her career, she served as his most able lieutenant, and during his final battle she reportedly killed at least two other enemy leaders and evaded capture by another. One day I hope to do an episode or a series of episodes on the history of women in the samurai class. When I do, Tomoe will feature very prominently. Returning to our narrative, in 1185, the Taira family lost the final battle of Dan no Ura, a naval battle which took place in the strait separating the island of Honshu from Kyushu. The child emperor Antoku, who was by this point 14 years old, committed suicide with his mother when the battle was lost by the Taira. The two jumped overboard when it was clear that the battle was over and drowned themselves. According to some sources, Antoku took the three imperial treasures gifted supposedly by Amaterasu to the imperial family to the bottom of the straits with him. However, since we have no way of seeing the treasures for ourselves, we have no way of knowing if that's true. Yoritomo, in his victory, did not extend the same clemency shown to his family by Kiyomori some 30 years earlier. He spent the rest of his life hunting down and exterminating every remaining Taira he could find. The Taira clan never recovered. Yoritomo was a ruthless political operator. In addition to his purge of the Taira, he turned on his own family as well. His brother Yoshitsune was sent to kill his cousin Yoshinaka after Yoshinaka's army seized Kyoto. After all, had Yoritomo not done this, Yoshinaka could have set up a puppet government with his control of the emperor and attempted to challenge his cousin for supremacy. Once Yoshinaka was killed and the war was won, Yoritomo turned on his own brother Yoshitsune, according to some sources because Yoshitsune was supposedly preparing to ally with Kiyomori's old patron Go Shirakawa. Like previous puppet masters, Yoritomo did not dispose of the imperial family. Instead, he arranged for the family to give him the honors he could use to control the government. Specifically, in 1192, the emperor proclaimed Minamoto no Yoritomo Sei Taishogun, which gave him command of all the warriors in the country, as we mentioned last week. Yoritomo, now securing his control, established a new government with himself in charge. He referred to this government as the Bakufu, literally meaning tent government a reference to the tents in which Bushi slept during military campaigns. 
This term was used by all following shogunal governments, with Yoritomo's government being called the Kamakura Bakufu since it was based in the city of Kamakura, about 50 miles south of modern Tokyo. This is the first samurai-dominated government in history, and for the next 670-odd years, it would form the pattern of political rule in Japan. However, Yoritomo did not live to enjoy this new rule very long. He died suddenly in 1199. Afterwards, in a sad twist for the Minamoto family, his children all died as well, some under rather mysterious and unfortunate circumstances. The more conspiratorially minded placed their deaths at the feet of his wife, Hojo no Masako, whose family assumed control of the government after the death of Yoritomo and his children. More specifically, after the death of the third Minamoto shogun, Minamoto no Sanetomo, Hojo, Masa Hojo no Masako's father, Hojo no Tokimasa, stepped in and assumed control of the government. Tokimasa did not, however, take the title of shogun. Why, you ask? Well, simply put, the Hojo did not have a high enough aristocratic rank to assume the title, unlike the Minamoto. Instead, he took the title of shiken, which roughly translates to chief advisor or chief regent. Of course, technically speaking, he was a regent or an advisor to a ruler who didn't exist. If you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings, the whole situation is very reminiscent of the idea of the Steward of Gondor. One man holds the powers of the king, but is not in fact a king himself. In much the same way, while the Hojo were not technically shoguns, they held all the power that the office of shogun implied, and really no one was going to mistake them for not being in charge of the country. The Hojo-dominated government would last until the 1330s. Thus, the first shogunal government in history was, for most of its history, not actually ruled by a shogun at all. However, later on we'll encounter two clans, the Ashikaga and the Tokugawa, whose leaders assume the title of shogun and justify doing so by claiming descent from the Minamoto. Of course, they almost certainly weren't actually descended from the Minamoto. More than likely they faked the records, bribed who they could, and threatened to kill who they couldn't. But it goes to show the strong connection the Minamoto family had with the officer shogun, even though they were only able to hold it three times. Meanwhile, no one really associates the Hojo with anything nice at all, more than likely because of the slightly, well, dubious situation surrounding their ascension to power. That's all for this week. Next week we will discuss the nature of the Kamakura system, its successful defeat of the Mongol invasions, and its eventual collapse in yet another brutal civil war. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.